Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Well, you already know we're here. It's Sunday. The Bengals are in the playoffs. The Bearcats just had a playoff appearance. And uh, we've had some basketball games this week. One of them, actually both of them were kind of a surprise. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat. Indeed it is. Short and sweet, and I think that's probably best. Uh, we got a lot of conversation to get into this week. Most of it will focus on the two basketball that, games that were played since we last had a podcast. Um, Bearcats beating SMU at home, a game that they really had to have, a game that was coming off of a, a response game to a, a devastating two-lane loss in their conference opener, um, but but an impressive win nonetheless, uh, having SMU come in and, and beating them pretty thoroughly, 77 to 60, and then going on the road, traveling to Memphis, our, our noted longtime rivals, and losing on the road 87 to 80. We will get into those games, getting into what we saw from the Bearcats over the last two games because it was a, a striking shift from the guys. I thought that we saw a lot of things positive that that we hadn't been seeing in the re, in recent uh, Bearcats games over the last several weeks, but we also still went one and one, so I'm sure there's some things that you want to react to, Hummer. Um, one, one note I want to I mention here is that Spotify is now doing ratings. And if you are enjoying this podcast, as we always like to request, uh, to help us spread the word and a way to support the podcast will be to go on to Spotify if you listen to us on that app and make sure you're leaving us a five-star rating so that we can get the word out to Bearcat fans across the world for, uh, for, the, for the best and, and most highly regarded Cincinnati Bearcat podcast uh, that is brought to you by random fans who love and cherish these athletics programs. Random fans, random t-shirt companies. Just a couple of guys, you know, just a couple (laughs) of guys in their homes whose whose wives think they spend too much time talking about the the Cincinnati Bearcats programs. Actually, they're both extremely supportive. Who am I kidding? Hummer, how are you feeling? You were, uh, you, you were battling, you were battling something this past week. How are you feeling? Are you mended? Are you recovered? Well, I did still test positive uh, today. So today was supposed to be coming out of quarantine day. Um, so I was supposed to go back into my my cage, which is the second bedroom. Um, but I convinced my wife to let me sit in my house all day on the couch watching football, wearing a mask. So, yeah, I had to wear a mask inside my home for seven plus hours sitting on the couch watching what turned out to be a glorious exciting day for everybody but the Bengals uh all around the nfl a, a lot of a lot of good action um sports gambling has been legalized in the state of new york um it's in it, well, it's been legalized but now it's it's fully been implemented um so i was practicing being a degenerate uh for for basically the better part of last night and all day today like, I mean, total degenerate. I'm doing like not only pregame bets, but I'm doing like watching the over unders of the Bills Jets game and picking the over at 33 in the fourth quarter with seven minutes left to go. Right. That's 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 the level of degenerateness I went down wow. the path I went down. And I'm actually going to I'm, I'm planning on what once this is over, I'm going to look at the end game bets here because I want to see how this Raiders game Chargers are going to start shaking out. I'm going to play the momentum play. Okay. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make some bets in in game bets there as well. Today is January 9th, and it's going to be the day that I start my documentary about the rise and fall of Ryan Hummer. And the fall started right now. The fall started today, baby on the way, a few short months away, and, and this man is ready to to lose lose everything on the Chargers Raiders uh over under. I'm, I'm worried for, I'm worried about you, buddy. Well. Let me tie back in though with with with. I don't know if this is where we want to kick off, but I'll, I'll stop it if this isn't where we want to take it. There was uh, the the Bearcats when at least when I looked at today, I I picked them up at seven and a half uh, point dogs, and I was like that. I know I feel like that's a that's a that's something that we can keep pace with, right? We ultimately you know we did cover that, uh, 
but I did, I picked it up with a parlay, so I didn't actually have it in my in my slip. While the game gets gets going, and it's clear that the Bearcats are here, like we're we're on fire, right? We're we're crushing, and uh, we're down by like four, and the line moves from seven and a half to eight and a half in game. I'm like, oh yeah, free money. <laughs> so yeah, also did a live in game bet during the Bearcats game. <laughs> oh God, this is worse than I thought. Um, well, we're going to have to reevaluate the podcast and where we go from here in terms of what kind of segments we need. If there's going to be an, a, a solo Hummer podcast each week about his, how much money he loses on a week in week out basis, betting on the Bearcats and other teams. Um, yeah, you and Sam, honestly, there might be a special in the works there. I want to start this episode, not with basketball. I know we've, we have plenty to talk about plenty of meat on the bone, as you like to say with the basketball team. There were a few this questions. This will be a basketball episode. Let's be real. This will be a basketball episode. It will, but there's there's a few questions kind of coming off of our, our season wrap-up episode that we did when we're both, look, we're both recovering from the trip to Dallas, whether you had COVID or not. That was an exhausting trip with many late nights, uh, many adult beverages, lots of, just lots of fun, lots of letting ourselves go carefree in a way that, we, that I personally haven't done in, in quite some time. That said... There's a few things that I wanted to make sure we were really driving home from the the season ending in football. Can I, and can if I ask you, you a question regarding that? Sure. Sorry, I got it. Before you get before you get going, before we get rolling into this segment, I want to alert everybody to the atrocity that happened at whatever bar we were at, where Coomer was playing pool and he lost. What did was it? You lost by scratching the eight ball. What was the the last shot of your last game of the night? The bar was closing down. Uh, I mean, the state of my being at that point was questionable. I think my soul had left my body hours ago. I had ripped off probably like five consecutive wins on the pool table, and you're and you're going to revisit the one loss. What is this? Hey, what man, is this? You can blind? win them all, but that if you don't win the last one, if you don't win the last one, you don't win the championship, baby. I mean, I'm not going to, this isn't a pool analysis podcast, but it was a, it was a one rail difficult eight ball shot that I scratched on life goes on. There was a lot of winning that happened that night, Homer. Um, oh dear. Just, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ruin your mojo with that. So we can, we can move on. You're I'm questioning your instincts after deciding to, to interrupt our football talk with, with pool analysis from Dallas, but alas, um, there's a few questions I think that remain that I want to kind of take your temperature on with regard to a couple coaches who are now former Cincinnati Bearcat coaches, as well as some comments that were made from Joel Klatt, a national football uh, personality from Fox sports who made some comments, some, some, some pretty, I would just call them straightforward, direct commentary on the coaching staff and the performance of our coaching, coaching staff in that cotton bowl to start having Watched our offense fail to score a touchdown, score six points total, be generally completely ineffective, ineffective against the Alabama Crimson Tide defense. My question to you is, should we have let Mike Dembrock coach that football game? Mike Dembrock, my, by the way, my Mike Dembrock, who we all that. know, we all know he has left and he is now on the coaching staff at LSU. And that was something that's not, a surprise to anybody. We knew weeks in advance. It, it was out there. It was, it was on the boards in, in reporting that Mike Denbrock was expected to become the offensive coordinator at LSU. Like literally three days after Brian Kelly takes the job at LSU, there's a picture that surfaced on Twitter that Mike Denbrock. And I think the reason why it actually kind of went viral is the, the reporter who took the photo uh, got his name wrong. Uh, and said like, you know, like uh, Matt Denbrock or something, but Mike Denbrock was, was spotted with his luggage in, in Baton Rouge. And like, it, it, it wasn't a secret. It was the world's worst kept secret. If, it, if he was leaving or not, my gut reaction is to say, I would have been like, go leave. Like at this point, you know, we have our general and, and Luke, we trust he's there. So that's my gut reaction. But I think in reality, it's probably harder to say, you know what, don't coach this game because of the fact that we, we would have had probably a first-time interim 
offensive coordinator and, and Gino Gadulli. And is that the moment you want Gino taking the reins? Is you know a national a national game like the college football playoff? I don't know, uh, but my gut reaction is I. You're not here, bro. You're not a part of us. You're not in our hearts. You know how 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 much of your heart can you have in this game if you know that you're dipping the minute that it's over? Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I and look, this is definitely Captain Hindsight. We're definitely coming at this after getting beat down at the hands of Alabama, um, after Denbrock has officially left. It's certainly something we could have maybe talked about at more length prior to the game. Um, but the the reality is anytime a coach has a, you know one foot out the door, he doesn't have two feet down, 10 toes, 10 toes down, whatever Mason Madsen says. Um, I, it does seem like it's probably in the best interest of the team outside looking in to have that guy not be a part of the game plan, the strategy and, and the program for that big game. Now that's our outside perspective. That's us coming at it from fan, a fan perspective, being a bit jolted. Uh, jilted, jilted, whatever the word is, uh, where we know that he's interested. I mean, look, Denbrock, I think you mentioned it on the last podcast. We probably did talk about this to some extent last episode, but you've mentioned the fact that he has sort of had his eyes elsewhere for multiple years now. He has not seen this as a job that, that he wants to stay at. He does have his, his eyes set on that, that LSU opportunity with Brian Kelly, where you've got all these sort of older middle-aged men who are like cashing out with their final job. Uh, getting getting paid, and I can't blame them for it, but I do think it would have been, I feel like it, it would have probably been a better decision uh, for Fickle and the coaching staff to just move on from him then and just say, you know what, go take that job, become the LSU's next offensive coordinator, and let's let Gino, the, the man in waiting who's already been the passing game coordinator, it already has these close, close relationships with the guys, something to rally around, something to get behind. That feels like it could have been a, a, a bit of a more inspiring type decision. But I also think, you know, I'm sure Fickle has his, his pul- a finger on the pulse of the team and knows that by keeping him around, it wasn't necessarily a distraction or something that any of the players would have resentment toward Denbrock on. Uh, it's, just, it's just one of those questions that I thought we should make sure we're fully fleshing out on the podcast, given that he did end up coaching that game and it was such a dreadful offensive performance. So, I mean, I guess asking the, the question to you, would you felt comfortable with Gino having stepped up and that being his first time, like filling the role of offensive coordinator and using, using hindsight too, knowing that he still hasn't been offered the job yet. True. True. And I'm, I'm basing the fact that he's likely going to be the guy based on Justin Williams article that really didn't lay out any other candidates. It was just basically saying like, look, you have this obvious guy here who's been with the program as a player came back and has decided to stay as a Bearcats passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach rather than take opportunities as an offensive coordinator elsewhere because he is so invested in the program, it does seem like they're heading in the direction of making him the guy. I mean, it's a risk. It certainly is a risk to have him as that, that being his first moment to, to call the plays, to, to man the wheel, whatever, whatever metaphor or, or catchphrase you want to use. I just think he's been there the entire season. He's got a feel for what this offense can do. He knows Des Ritter. Better, better than anybody on the coaching staff. He has those relationships. It could have been, I mean, it would have been a nice little taste of what, what Gino's going to bring to the table, what kind of wrinkles he can open up. It's not like he's developing a new style or new strategy or new game, a new you know playbook from scratch. He's going to basically take that book that Denbrock holds in his hands, uh, game in, game out, and says, all right, coach, pass it over here, pass the sticks. I'll take control from here on out. I think it would have been a great opportunity for him, especially given the fact that based on who we were playing and the circumstances we were playing with, with house money. And it would have been nice to see someone in there who had, you know, a chance to prove himself and maybe have a bit more boldness to his approach, a bit more courage, a bit more uh, willing to take risks, a bit more tolerance for risk in that game, which we, we basically had none on both sides of the ball. My second question to you, and this is, yeah, I mean, there's, there, we, we're, we're hashing cool. out. There's, there's, there's not much more to talk about on the Denbrock thing. My second question to you is Brian Mason, special teams coordinator for the Bearcats, has decided to take his talents over to Notre Dame, South Bend. Uh, he is joining Marcus Freeman's staff in the same role as a special teams coordinator. I think this was met with it, it, the reactions I saw online. There were some I, I'm not trying to build a straw man. 
but it was just that I was reading people kind of reacting to this, like, oh my gosh, another coordinator overreacting. You mean, (laughs) well, I'm going to ask you that. I mean, it is, is losing Brian Mason, another coordinator for the Bearcats gone. We've now lost Marcus Freeman. We've now lost Mike Dembrock and we've now lost Brian Mason. Is this something that we should be reacting to? Do you have concern in your heart for Brian Mason becoming the special teams coordinator at Notre Dame? Look, at the end of the day, good programs lose coordinators all the time, right? If you go and look at look at Lane Kiffin, he's been a coordinator everywhere, been a head coach everywhere too, for that matter, uh, but goes to Alabama. Now he's head coach at, at Ole Miss. Uh, it's just what happens. It's a sign that your program's good when people want your coordinators and you're running a good program. Losing Mason, I mean, was our – look, aside from recovering some, some punt, muff punts, I don't know if that's a, because our punter kicks in a very special way that it puts a spin on the ball, that it makes it tough for, for uh, you know, receivers to catch it. But like we kicked an awful lot of, we had an awful lot of, um, of kicks going out of bounds on kickoff. You know, we had our fair share of our own misgivings on, on special teams. And at the end of the day, I'm not like, I don't think that's earth shattering to lose a special teams coordinator. You know, I'm not saying they're a dime a dozen, but like, what is something that's absolutely breathtakingly different on special teams that the next guy up isn't going to be able to replicate? Uh, I'm just not sure if if that's where I want to, you know, sit there and lose my mind uh, of something we're losing. Now, let's say we go and, and not that Trestle has gone and even necessarily proved himself in the sense. Let's say we lost Trestle right now, or we lost also Gino right now. Now I'm starting to panic a little because our whole staff is gone but it's not. So I'm not worried about losing Mason. I don't think that's the the biggest piece in this cog that would stop, stop the wheels from churning. Agreed. I think that it's much, it's much ado. Um, well wishes to Mason at his next stop. Uh, you know, at Notre Dame, I, I wish him well. I hope things go well. I know that what he does and what he brings to the table, you know, it, it goes beyond what we see on the field. I, by all accounts, he's a fantastic recruiter, and I think that's maybe the, the spot where we do feel it the most. But as long as the head of the snake is still intact, that's the thing we only we have to worry about is is whether Luke Fickle is remaining as head coach at UC. And as as I, I last checked, NFL season is, is on the verge of ending, uh, but Luke Fickle, as of now, is still the head coach of the football team. And to me, that's that matters much more than you know a coach like Brian Mason who on the field, in terms of on-field results, coverage units outstanding, punting unit outstanding, field goal unit a complete catastrophe. It was a disaster this season. And kickoffs were a disaster this season. There were things on the field from a football perspective that that weren't going very well. So it's not like you can't find someone to also coach that unit up beyond where Mason had that unit this past season. Now, if he had a special knack for bringing in very talented special teams type players, which he appears to have to an extent, our punters have been quite outstanding these, these past several seasons. Um, that does matter. And I'm not trying to be completely dismissive of it, but what I am trying to say is folks pull it together. This is not something that is worth reacting to in any sort of dramatic fashion. Wish him well, keep it moving. Luke Fickle will find a good replacement for Brian Mason. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to the to the, to the, to the, topic of like being a good recruiter that's something you hear about every every coordinator when they leave every every coordinator was a great recruiter marcus freeman was a great recruiter denbrock was a great recruiter fickle was a great recruiter like that's what makes a program good and at the end of the day the most important piece of this corporation is the ceo and that's luke fickle and something i want to point out is luke fickle is going to be talk about a recruiting not only was uh, obtaining a, a spot in the CFP massive for recruiting. He's going to be on college game day built by the home Depot uh, from six to 8 PM. He's going to be appearing there as a guest analyst. He's going to be on championship drive for uh, presented by capital one from three to five. He's going to be on college football live from one 30 to 3 PM. Luke fickle is going to be trumpeting and being the brand ambassador for the university of Cincinnati on national television on the biggest programs leading up to the biggest game in college football. The only thing that is better than that for us is being in the damn game itself. That is awesome. 
Luke Fickle, I have all the confidence in the world that the team that he's built is going to come in and be able to recruit just as well as the guys that leave. At the end of the day, you're like it's it's sad to say this because we don't want to admit it sometimes. Cincinnati is kind of typically been, for football at least, a stepping stone program. It is what it is. We are right now currently in the American Athletic Conference. We're moving to the Big 12, and even then we're not seeing the financial resources if I saw the, the, the letter that came out from Houston, part of the contract, that a lot of it was redacted because of the ongoing dealings with Oklahoma. But we're not going to be getting payouts, a full payout for the conference to like almost a second full year of membership. So from that standpoint, it's, it's okay. Guys, don't overreact to it. Luke Fickle's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And next year, I'm already predict- I've already predicted it. We're going 13-0 again next year. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even trying to be facetious with that. I actually think we're going to be good next year. Okay. Okay. I mean, you think we're going to be good versus going 13 and 0, something that has never happened in the history of this program. That those are two different things. This can again. be it can be a good season. Okay. And we'll and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. I love we're in the, the American Athletic Conference. We're going to do it again. <laughs> the big thick energy is not stopping in 2021 for Hummer. This is very much carrying over to 2022. College football playoff results be damned. Now, on those results, there's one last thing I wanted to play for you and then discuss, but it's the fact that Joel Klatt went on the Ryan Russillo podcast uh, with the Ringer Podcast Network and had some fairly direct, harsh words for the Bearcats coaching staff. Here they are. I think that the frustrating part, as, as good of a coach as Luke Pickle is and, and as, as well as they have done uh, in his tenure there, th- that was a... I, I don't want to sound too harsh, but what I mean, it is what it is. That was a massive coaching fail from them in that semifinal game. Massive. Just think about this. You've got as a tandem, as a tandem, the two best corners in college football. Right. Kobe and Garden. Right. Kobe and Garden, Sauce Garden. I mean, these guys are going to be, Kobe's probably going to be a second, late second, third round pick. Uh, good player, good ball skill, strong. Sauce Gardner is a legitimate possibly top corner in the draft, certainly number two corner in the draft, first round guy, like legit dude. They are the best option that you have defensively. And they never committed all the resources to stopping the run. It was like, Hey, we're just going to go in there. And, and, and our game plan is to allow Alabama to just hand the football off and win the game and just completely dominate up front. That is a massive coaching fail. And again, I like Luke a lot. That can't be your game plan. Your game plan cannot be, we're definitely going to lose and just get bludgeoned in the head by the run game. Not with those guys on the outside. They should have zeroed up, meaning zero safeties, go back to the technical term, played man coverage, and said, listen, our best player is Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Gardner, and he's going to cover Jamison Williams wherever he goes on the field, and we're going to take our chances. And if Bryce Young and Jamison Williams beat us and beat Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Gardner, then their best is beating our best. But what we're not going to allow them to do is just sit there and run the ball down our throats to the tune of over 200 yards from Brian Robinson and not adjust because the defensive line was never going to stop that run game. It was never going to happen. And you saw that the very first carry of the game after the very. I probably played that longer than I had to, but your reaction to those comments from Joel Klatt. When he says them, they're better when, than when you say them. Uh, he makes a compelling argument there, uh, the way he articulates it, especially when he says, let, you know, if your best beats our best, then so be it. Um, you know, when you, when you phrase it like that, it makes a lot of sense. Um, at the end of the day, I, I still think that when we go back in that game plan and fickle, you know, maybe this is where, you know, some people were maybe kind of wrong about what they said. You know, and, and Marcus Freeman is is you know the brain was the brains behind the brain trust behind the uh, the, the defense there, uh, you know, calling plays and running them, and making adjustments. Uh, where this year it didn't happen, and you know, I think this was that it's that we've been wanting to be balanced on both sides of the ball and everything that we do. We want to run the ball a mix, or we want to throw the ball a mix, and it seemed like we wanted to do that here too. We wanted to try to balance it out. You know, take away the air, make them beat us on the ground. And and if that is the case here, you know, we did literally let them control the game. And we've said this before. We can go find the tape. 
this is what we were scared of was having a team run the ball down our throats, control the game clock, because that's how we let really bad teams almost beat us this year. Navy, Tulane, like that's how it happened was them running ball. They didn't have especially you know great running backs, but that was the game script on how to beat us was run the ball. And Saban saw that, and he, it's exactly what he did. So he, he makes he makes a good argument there. It is. It seems a bit. I mean, it's a bit hyperbolic to call it a massive failure because I do think you made some good points about the fact that our defense largely had us in the game through three quarters. Our offense did absolutely nothing. And from a points on the board type standpoint, the defense was doing its job, especially during the first three quarters of play. This did capture the sentiment though, that I was feeling after the game. And you're right. I do a lot better. I do a lot worse job explaining those thoughts than the professional broadcaster. He did an exceptional job. (laughs) He did an exceptional job in my mind, capturing just how I felt walking out of that game, which is like, why, why weren't we trying to do anything possible, everything possible to stop the run, to make Bama try and beat us throwing the ball A point. He did not mention there that is worth noting. What the key point is that we have sauce Gardner to match up with Jamison Williams, which is something that basically every other team in the country doesn't have. They don't have that a list cornerback, that top 10 pick cornerback to match up with the elite talent and speed of Jamison Williams. We already have that. That is a built-in advantage that we have. On the other side of the ball, we have Kobe Bryant. Alabama went into that game missing Mechie. Mechie tore his ACL and MCL going into that game. They're missing one of their second-leading receiver, their possession guy, the guy that they would generally lean upon when they're, when they're missing or when, when Jamison Williams goes out of a game for a targeting penalty or gets blanketed and shut down by a cornerback like Sauce Gardner. We should have done more to to make Alabama play to our strengths on both sides of the ball. Offense, first and foremost, was the biggest culprit and the the biggest shortcoming in that specific game. But this is this to me did drive home a very fair point, which is if you're the Cincinnati coaching staff, Mike Tressel, Luke Fickle, you have got to be more willing to adjust on the fly and scrap the game plan when you're getting when you're getting this type of bludgeoned in the running game. It just had to change. They had to be more proactive in adjusting in that way. And I think, thank you for making that point about Marcus Freeman. I think there's been too much talk about Marcus Freeman kind of, you know, being more of an ace recruiter and the figurehead of the defense when he was here and, and more and less the fact about his coaching skills, that guy's a hell of a good coach. And I do think that we saw slippage on the defense this year. It was small, It was still a top-notch defense. It was still incredibly talented and definitely a strength of the team. But Sauce got better. Kobe got better. Safety still performed at a high level. Brian Cook looked exceptional. Linebackers were very good. I would say that losing Jarrell White was definitely uh, a big loss for the Bearcats. And I think Elijah Ponder as well, especially in the running game. But it was a unit that was still very, very, very talented this season. And we saw it take a step back. And that does speak to maybe the specialness uh, of Marcus Freeman. He is a very good coordinator and it was a tough loss and his, his presence did matter. He wasn't just a figurehead there. Yeah. Well, the other thing to point out too, is if we're in this world of, of hypotheticals where we do, you know, as he called it, zero safety, go man, man coverage, you know, we're stuffing the box and we're, and we're forcing Alabama to go against us. That is also a scary proposition because Bryce Young is the Heisman winning quarterback. And we've seen him, if you've watched him play, is very capable of being incredibly accurate and throwing dimes. The long, the long throw that he had for his, his uh, touchdown at the end of the first half, I think was like a, a 36 perfectly placed ball. Perfect. Um, does going man on man allow him to have more options and having guys, you know, do we necessarily want them going one, one-on-one with everybody? So I, I don't know really what's going through their heads unless we ask Mike Tressel, unless we ask Luke Fickle, why was that decision made to, to not uh, stuff the box, go one-on-one? I don't think we'll, we'll know that answer. But a part of me wants to think, too, you said this before, before we even knew we were playing Alabama, about the, when Alabama steps onto the field, I think it was Lane Kiffin's quote, right? We know that we have superior talent at every position on the field. 
there's only one spot we know they didn't have superior talent, and that was Sauce Gardner versus JMO, right? Everywhere else, that could have been very much true, and it could come back and have burned you in the long run. So maybe that's why they decided, let's try to slow the game down. Let's try to slow their offensive down. Let's make them grind it out to, to score points. So maybe, a, maybe that was part of the logic. And, and that's exactly what they did, right? The, the, the style of play that we brought forth to that game allowed this game to be 27-6. It allowed the Bearcats to still be hanging around in a, in a, ver- in a fairly close game through about three quarters. I would say if we did see the Bearcats shift to the type of game plan that we're discussing, which is it's a more high risk game plan. What we're discussing is something that could have theoretically gotten the Bearcats blown out. It could have led to an an uglier loss. And you would be risking that by isolating sauce and Kobe on a, on a possession to possession game on a play to play game. Now, I also think as it does increase the likelihood of a blowout, a true blowout, it simultaneously would increase the likelihood of maybe winning the game in my mind. I think we had a greater chance of winning the game if we were playing a higher risk style of football that would have, it, it would have made the more, the unlikely things more likely to happen. Essentially. We needed a lot of things to break our way. We needed a perfect game. We needed our cornerbacks to step up and be, you know, as great as advertised. And I just don't even think we gave them the chance to do that in this game, but alas, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I just thought all of those things were interesting and worth revisiting as we move into a, a basketball-focused podcast here for the next few months. Oh, let's be real. We're all going to be dwelling on this for a long time because it was the biggest game in Cincinnati's history. And, look, it is what it is. You know, some of us still dwell on Kenyon Martin breaking his leg. Uh, some of us get told to move on when we are saddened that Tari Eason is not a Bearcat. Uh you know, it just, it is what it is. There's things that you go and you're just going to look back on and be like, man, I wish that would have turned out different. I wish we had done something different. Look, it's basketball season, baby. It is basketball season. So (laughs) let's, let's talk about the two games the Bearcats played since we last did a podcast. I'm sure we're going to focus more on the Memphis game because that's what's fresh in our minds, but it is worth noting that they also came out and dominated a, a frisky you know, a, a good, a team that's led by Kendrick Davis. SMU is, is 11 and four, 11 and three heading into that game against Cincinnati. That was a good basketball team that came in and fell down, you know, nearly 20 points at halftime. The Bearcats absolutely demolished SMU and then followed that up with a very impressive performance on the road against Memphis, a game that definitely could have been won, but they ended up losing 87 to 80. Last time we talked basketball, there was it was in a much more negative connotation because of what we saw against Tulane, which was a result in a in a in a long line of results that were, look, very very bad performances, like bad offensive basketball, no no true game plan, not a clear plan of approach uh, or plan of attack offensively, and a defense that wasn't as tough or locked down as it should have been. Anytime you're giving up nearly fifty points at home to Tulane. And falling down 26, 27 points in the first half, something's wrong. It's wrong offensively. It's wrong defensively. It's wrong from a culture and energy standpoint. Something was amiss. They've come back and responded in the exact way you want to see. I was thrilled with the performance against SMU. I thought it was, it was, they looked reinvigorated. They looked energetic. They looked bought in. And top to bottom, it was a, it was a great performance. And to top it off, the team made some shots. Those shots weren't a fluke. We've now gone two consecutive games here, including this Memphis performance, where the Bearcats all of a sudden have started to knock down some outside jump shots. And sure enough, when shots fall, things look a little better. Where are you at after these last two games against SMU and Memphis? Well, when it comes to the shots falling... I am hesitant to go out and, and do the full on. We just beat Illinois. Uh, we're, we're back, baby. This team is top 25 by the end of the week. I'm hesitant to go there uh, because it took a miraculous, a, a beautiful showing from the three-point line by Jeremiah Davenport, who hasn't shot anywhere near you know, lights out. And and he was just as shy of 50% from three point or sorry, he was 70% uh, 
from three-point range. Uh, Micah Adams-Wood, three for four from beyond the arc. DeJulius, two for five. Koval, Koval was getting in on the action with a couple. Newman shot five, made three of them. So we shot lights out today, and I just don't think that's our norm. We have enough kind of data points on the, on the board to say that we're not a, a lights out three point shooting team. And so, you know, that's where I know we, we, we want to start with the SMU game. Cause that was almost as perfect of a game as you could play from, from the Bearcats standpoint, defense was great, right? We held, we held them to 60 points. You hold teams to 60 points. You're a lot of times you're going to win the game. Right. So that that's good. Um, and we honestly, we shot probably closer to what our norm would be from three point land. Wasn't it was still very, very good at 37, uh, 34 or 38%. Uh, but that's something I think would be more realistic to reproduce as opposed to what we did today. So there was some stuff today that was concerned to defense was non-existent, but can we just throw this out there? Penny Hardaway, the terrible coach, man, those guys are big athletic freaks. And they should be winning a lot more games and being a lot better than what they are. <laughs> You're really breaking news there, buddy. You're really breaking news. Oh. Penny Hardaway does a fantastic job recruiting. He attracts amazing talent. Uh, they have already figured out ways to leverage NIL in ways that our program, I hope, aspires to. But when it comes to the results on the court and making these players buy in and play in a in a unified way that leads to victories and improved basketball over the course of a season. He has not shown us yet that he knows how to do that. He does not know how to consolidate the talent on his team and to make it greater than the sum of its parts. We give, I shouldn't even say we give people give John Calipari a lot of crap because he's always playing with the, with the stack deck. He always has, you know, some of the best talent in the country. And so when he does win the sec, or win 25 games, or go on a run in the tournament, sort of like, yeah, you're supposed to do that. He is supposed to do that. But he also, more often than not, does a great job getting these young 18-year-old freshmen buying into a concept that's bigger than their individual stats. He manages to make a player like Devin Booker believe that, hey, it's okay for me to come off the bench as a freshman on this team because I know that it's what's going to allow us to win more games. And, and then go on to the NBA and still be one of the best scorers in the, in the modern NBA. He has proven how to do that. Penny has not a clue. And, and it, he, is, he is attracting a lot of talent. It's an impressive array of, of skill sets that he gets on the team. Imani Bates, uh, Duran. We, we didn't even get to see their leading score today. That said, it's never impressive. Like, I'm never blown away with what they're doing as a basketball team when we play them. This is a game that was very much that very much could have been won by the Bearcats and should have been won if not for some piss poor execution down the stretch. Yeah, I, I just looked at the when Houston's on or if Houston Memphis was out in the court. I mean, they're we have a lot of we have a decent amount of size on the team at certain positions, but they looked like they had us, you know, basically outsized at every position. Guys, some guys looked like they almost had NBA ready frames on them already. And and I'm just surprised, but getting back, back to our squad, the SMU game, what, what was the thing that stood out to you the most that gives you hope for the, that this conference season that started that is going to go the right way? Well, first and foremost, for me, the thing that going into the season that I thought would make the Bearcats special, or I shouldn't even say special, but like the superpower of this team, if there was going to be a strength something we could rely on game in, game out. I thought it was going to be two things. The energy and activity and depth of the team. I'm kind of putting them all in one bucket because you've got a lot of depth. You've got a lot of options and they'd be guys that were sort of uh, underrated, need to kind of leave it all in the court every single game. Um, and that would pair well with also having a, a elite defense. Predicting this team to be one of the top three defenses in the American Athletic Conference this, this year. Now, what happened is we've gotten inconsistent energy and effort on a game-to-game -game basis. And our defense, while starting off the year incredibly strong, it's still been good, but it does come and go at times. And it does seem to, to have moments where they can't really figure out how to get crucial stops. And I think this game against Memphis was a perfect example where we gave up 87 points. You know, like, what do you... 
what do you expect at that point on the road? Or you're not usually going to win a road game giving up 87 points. And yet this team was in it until the very end. And that's because over the last two games, we have seen significant improvement on in offensive performance. And I do think you're, you're fair to point out that we can't rely on this team shooting and knocking down 16, three pointers every game. It's actually, it's not going to be a team that shoots very well. Setting a FedEx, setting a FedEx forum record. <laughs> that, that was the most three pointers ever made by a team in that arena. <laughs> now, to be fair though, like I think we do have some regression to the mean in our favor because I don't think Micah Adams Woods is as bad of a shooter as he had been to start the season. He was someone who could not hit the broad side of a barn throughout most of the year. And now finally in the last two games, you know, I think at one point in today's game, Micah had made seven of his last 10 three pointers. That is fair because he had missed so many and many of which he could make. So is it, is it the worst shooting team in the country? No. Are they an above average shooting team from three? No, they're not that either. So if they can somehow figure out a way to mesh average offensive performances Nights where Jeremiah Davenport becomes a flamethrower that we are going to get some of those. It was nice to see one today um, and pair that with, you know, immaculate high energy, immaculate um, buy-in, immaculate out hustling of every team and, and elite defense. Those things will combine for 21, 22, 23 wins and, and competing for, for top two in the conference in the American athletic. This is not a very good conference this year. I, I believe the words you're looking for when it comes to the shooting we're looking for is average at best. Okay. We're looking for this team to be average when it comes to shooting. Cause we play good enough defense today. Not today was not a good, great defensive effort. Uh, but we play good enough defense. Typically that average at best is going to win us a lot of games. And you brought it up. This conference is, is, is trash. I, I feel so sorry for every school that has to be left in this pit of mediocrity uh, once once we abandon ship <laughs> in, a, in two years. But Mike Adams would, that is a very valid point. This team, if we're going to succeed in conference play, is we need Mike Adams would. We, we need more than just David DeJulius and Jeremiah Davenport providing offense we need it to be able to come from multiple places and having mike adams would get get returned to some sort of form of consistency is key so i'm hoping that what we're seeing is isn't you know maybe hopefully it was just more of a lack of confidence and that he's kind of found his his stroke again the thing that was concerning to me at the end of this game was and i know we're going to talk about this but not not let's not let's forget about the timeout taking a snafu and at the end of the game you have a guy who's pretty hot shot three for four six from 11 from the field i'm actually okay with mike adams with having the last shot today's game i'm okay with jeremiah davenport having the last shot today's game i'm okay with david the julius having the last shot today's game why we were so why we were so frantically looking to get the ball out of mike mike was frantically looking to get the ball out of his own hands it, it was baffling to me from a guy who's been shooting so well lately that he didn't seem the confidence. Even at that point, we still had what 30 seconds ish left drive to the hoop. You've been finished. Oh, you were finishing no, no, no. a lot of we, those. We did not have 30 seconds left. There was at the time of the turnover. I think there was just a few seconds left in the game because we had wasted time dribbling the ball up the court. I actually thought you were going to put a perfect bow on that. I'm okay with Jeremiah Davenport having the last shot. Micah Adams woods, having the last shot, David DeJulius having the last shot. As long as we get a last shot, that was that was where I thought you were heading with that. That was why we had a problem. Uh, yeah, not, yeah. It's not who takes that last shot. It's can we just get a last shot for the love of God? Um, I understand actually why Micah Adams Woods is probably the one guy you don't want with the ball in that specific moment because down three, you're looking for a guy who can create his own shot or a shot for someone else for a three pointer. And Micah Adams Woods, while he's on a hot streak here from three, it's usually off ball receiving a pass from David to Julius or, or another playmaker on the team to knock that shot down. David to Julius was the obvious candidate in this case to have that ball in his hands with the final possession because of his ability to create a step back three point jumper and his ability to redis to distribute the ball to someone else. 
one of the silver linings of these last two games is the fact that David DeJulius has found his way back to becoming playmaker David DeJulius. He's still scoring the ball. He scored 15 today against Memphis. He also had six assists. He's also getting back to not just being a get the ball in my hands, isolation, you know, I'm going to take a jump shot player. He's finding ways to now reassert himself and use that skill set for creating for others. We've seen some two, two-man game actions with Victor Locken. We've seen his ability to, to find John Newman III for open, for open three-pointers, Micah Adams-Woods for open three-pointers, Jeremiah Davenport for open three-pointers. For this team to get any sort of momentum offensively, David DeJulius has got to be a playmaker. So he went for 15-6 and six against Memphis, 22-6 and six against SMU. Huge, huge performances for David DeJulius. And if we continue to get those, we're going to see more games where the Bearcats are scoring 72-plus rather than you know six, struggling to reach 63 points. To me, that was the biggest thing that we saw in the past two games. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, SMU, great game. Memphis, when's the last time we saw the, the Cats throw up 80 on a solid squad? You know, like that's, 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 I mean, yeah, the results not when we won at 87, that, that 80, that seven point loss is, isn't doing the game justice for how close it was at the end. Uh, my only comment about if at, at Mike Adams Woods maybe driving to the ball, because he did a lot of time wasting, not just dribbling it up the court, dribbling it in the front court and trying to look for David Julius. He, he had six assists in this game. He was finding guys open, but he was also finishing. So go get, go get yourself a foul and get the end one. It doesn't necessarily have to be a three. You could also didn't run the full court press. We had a timeout, right? That's that there. That's the other thing I really want to get into is I think that this is where, where West deserves some very fine criticism because at, at his post game comments, he was asked about like, you know, why didn't you call a timeout? He goes, well, that was, he basically said, you know, that's my mistake. I wasn't loud enough. I was trying to call a timeout. Oh, I'm sorry. What? What? I've seen guys, I've seen professional college coaches run out into the middle of the court screaming timeout when they want a timeout with three seconds left or however many were left. Like that is inexcusable mistake. If you wanted to call a timeout, we sh- there should have been timeouts called on, on at least that last one. If you were having trouble getting the ball into David Julius's hands, should have been a timeout called to set up a play designed to get the ball into David Julius's hands. Uh, yeah. no, no excuse for that. That that was that's definitely on the coach. The the play was obviously in shambles. They were slow to bring it up. They couldn't get the ball in the hands of David DeJulius. It was clearly going nowhere. Micah Adams Woods was was basically dribbling the ball backwards. We need to get a timeout. That has to happen. And and there needs to be I mean, I'm sure Wes realizes that, right? Like he may have been trying to call a timeout. I don't I don't necessarily know if that's what the footage is showing, but you do have to find a way to to stabilize your team in that moment when you have that at your disposal, because that possession was clearly going no, nowhere quick. I will say this about Mike Adams Woods. I stand for him consistently. I understand his value to the team in being a low turnover player who defends well. Some of the shots Tyler Harris made down the stretch were incredible when you consider the type of defense Mike Adams Woods was playing on him. Immaculate defense. I'm using that word too much, uh, but he was, he was outstanding defensively, and he, and he is game in, game out. What he has been doing, though, when he takes the ball to the hole, he makes layups so much more difficult than they have to be. He did. He made a layup with about 56 seconds left in the game. Bearcats took a lead, 80 to 79. Tyler Harris came back with about 40 seconds, made a jumper in Micah Adams Woods' face uh, to retake the lead. On that next possession, about 24 seconds left in the game, David DeJulius has a three-point jumper that just barely rims out. We get the offensive rebound and Mike Adams Woods finds himself basically going to the hole, going to the cup with a, with a relatively small player protecting the rim. And he made that layup instead of going through it with contact, keeping his arms up, finishing through that, that contact. He like brings the ball down, tries to almost like spin it off the backboard from his hip and it goes way over the rim. It just had no chance at all. That's where he needs to figure out how to, how to finish through contact embrace the contact don't adjust your shot based on this this rim protector being here find a way to make it through the being physical 
get the foul. And so that was that was a critical play, and then he followed it up with the turnover thereafter. So he became a bit of a scapegoat for why we lost. But all in all, one of the key reasons we were actually in that game was that Mike Adams-Woods played a hell of a game for about 39 minutes. And not to just pile on the Micah Adams Woods with making layups difficult. He had quite a few that were absolutely gorgeous. You know, they looked good. They're, they're definitely highlightable, uh, you know, where he, you know, you're going from the, the, the right side, you're approaching the right side of the hoop. And, you know, instead of going up on the right side, you, you, you switch hands and you end up, you know, reversing it under the hoop, going over the left side. And the whole time you didn't need to do any of that. You just needed to lay the ball up. Uh, you know, I feel like you're going to have a lot more success being direct to the hoop than trying to be, you know, fancy backyard, uh, you know, and one specialist. So it's, you know, it's hit or miss. I'm glad to see he's, he's getting some confidence in his, in his game. I'm glad to see that he's scoring again. I'm glad to see that, you know, if he's going to be a guy that we need on the court from, from a ball handling perspective, that, you also want those guys being able to score and create for others. And so I'm glad to see that he's moving in that seems to be moving in that direction. Odio Guama has figured out how to stay on the court a bit more, not fouling at, at such a significant rate anymore. And he's, his rebounding is incredibly valuable. If there's something from this team that we've seen, you know, 16 games in, I guess near over halfway through the season, that maybe is disappointing and surprising. It's that I thought our front court would be a lot more solid than it has been. We have not really found a consistent, viable option in the front court. And I'm not really talking about from a scoring standpoint. Yes, I thought Victor Locken would be a more reliable scoring threat than he has been. Uh, he only got six minutes today. His his presence and impact on games has continually um, reduced as the season has gone along. I, I don't think Wes is happy with the his, his proclivity to turn the ball over uh, for the foul rate. But what's most disappointing about our front court we're just getting, we're getting beaten up on the boards. This is too big of a team, too big of a front court to get consistently drubbed on the, on the defensive boards, especially like we do Memphis today had 41 rebounds to our 31. They got 15 offensive rebounds. And when you look at the stats and the fact that the Bearcats didn't turn the ball over at, at a crazy high amount, um, it really does seem like Memphis won this game through offensive rebounding getting to the free throw line. They, they shot 19 free throws to Cincinnati six. Um, and then, you know, they, they hit a very high clip from three, nine of 20 from three as well. So it's, it's difficult to lose a game when you hit 16 of 30 from three point range, the Bearcats managed to do it. And I'm trying to rack my brain for why it happened. Just not enough stops. Rebounding performance was, was piss poor again. Def defense, defensive rebounding. I mean, it's, it's yeah. simple. The offense was, this was the opposite of the CFP, the offense showed up in this game. Defense did not. We it's simple as simple as that. We didn't really play defense. We got outmanned and, and bullied bullied on the boards. You, you hit it there. We, we gave up the rebounding was they had ten more than us on on the defensive side. Like we're it is what it is. It sucks. You got to do better. The rotation is definitely starting to to take shape here. We've seen John Newman the third, Davenport, Adams Woods, DeJulius. Those guys are all going to be hovering around. 30 minutes or more per game. I didn't necessarily think we would have guys averaging that many minutes per game coming into the season, but Wes Miller has truly grown comfortable with those four in particular. Davenport would have seen more than 30 minutes against Memphis if he didn't pick up three quick fouls uh, in the first half of this game. And then Abdul Adu has been the, the guy that Wes Miller leans on the most. I think positionally, he tends to play the best defense, tends to get his hand in there, deflect some passes, Rebounding is a bit of a disappointment. He doesn't really, you know, clear off the boards like you would expect. Um, I'm still going to hold out hope that Victor Locken can earn his way into this rotation a bit more than he has so far. I just, we're not getting enough. He's not as strong with the ball as he needs to be. That will come with time. But to me, that is, you know, kind of the diamond in the rough for this Bearcats team is what Victor Locken could potentially do down the line. Victor Locken needs more dates more more time on the assembly line of the monster factory right needs to be hammering some rivets you know vroom, vroom, vroom. just needs to go in there put some work in get some bulk yeah, he, he's gonna be a monster um you know he's a guy hopefully makes me actually forget 
that Tari Eason used to be a Bearcat. Uh, I'm never going to forget that Hummer. This is quickly, this is <laughs> rapidly turned into the most, the most painful transfer in Bearcats, the most painful, what could have been in Bearcats history. Tari he's Eason the is, NBA. well, he's, he's only going to be, this is his last year of college. Let's, I mean, come on. His, yeah. phys, his physical profile is perfect for the NBA. He just dropped 24 and 12 against 10, Tennessee with an absolute mammoth dunk on the head of a seven footer on Tennessee's team. He's special. And we knew he was special. It's not like he was here and we didn't appreciate it for what he was. I loved every single moment he played in that Bearcat uniform. He is a awesome player and I'm glad to see him thriving. Um, his decision to transfer is, has worked out for him. Um, the national press around everything he's bringing to the table. The entire country is starting to appreciate how special Tari Eason is. The steal rate, the block rate, the rebounds, the, the, the ability to score this season. He's special, man, and I'm happy for him. I'm going to continue following him throughout his college and NBA career because uh, he is certainly going to have one, but it hurts. It hurts bad every single time I look at an LSU box score. And, and I'm never going to apologize for bringing it up. Like, it, it is something to me akin to – it's not as high on the list, obviously, but it's like akin to Kenyon Martin breaking his leg. When you think Easy. about the what ifs, the what ifs, like, and I know it's only one year, but this team would be immensely different had a talent like Tari Eason decided to stay at the bear with the Bearcats. I'm gonna ask so you like, pump the brakes a little bit. If. That's a bit. That's what a if. bit of a. That's a bit of a dramatic, dramatic. comparison, <laughs> given that Kenyon Martin's leg injury likely prevented. Uh, at least a final four appearance, if not a national championship. Tari Eason being on this specific team, this is not a national championship team in that case. Now, what it does, what it does steal with from Tari, us, it was <laughs> it, it steals from us a lot of memories, a lot of highlights, and then a, another Cincinnati Bearcat NBA professional to root for and cheer for. He's special, man. He's going to be good. Um, here's here's what's coming up for the Bearcats: two home games over the next week. ECU coming to town on the 12th, and then we're going to Wichita State on the 16th. Again, two home games for the Bearcats. We own Coke Arena, not concerned about it at all. If the Bearcats, I'm going to leave on a positive, Hummer. If the Bearcats bring the same intensity and energy that they did the last two games against SMU and Memphis, if we bring those types of efforts every single game in American athletic play, we're going to finish in the top three. Book it. This team can do it. There's, I know it's not the most talented team. I heard some insane speculation that this team was less talented than Mick Cronin's first team for the Bearcats. Folks, it is not. This team is more talented by a lot than that first version of Mick Cronin's Bearcats roster. Trust the process on this. If they continue to bring energy and defense, most importantly, the road to 20 plus, you know, I think I predicted 24 wins to start the season. We're not quite on that pace right now. I think it's more likely we end up with 21, 22 wins. It's still in play folks. Hold on to hope. This team has the horses to make a run and to compete for a top three finish in the American athletic conference. I got one more thing to add. It's not a big one, but bear, bear, bear with me, folks. It has been Four years in like 11 months in like 20 something days since the university or Southern Methodist University has defeated your Cincinnati Bearcats. I specifically like remember that because in 2017, and I had to go back and check the Twitter tape for this one, I got my first Twitter fight ever with a random person on Twitter, random SMU fan. He was upset that Matt Norlander decided to talk about how the Bearcats had quietly put together uh, an amazing program as we were 20 and two at the time. Uh, and, and then the kid goes, well, do SMU next. And my next response was when you guys have been good for the last 25 years, you'll get a profile done on you. <laughs> Either way, I thoroughly enjoy beating SMU. I don't know what it is about it in basketball. I just love, putting them in their place when they have, you know, George W. Bush sitting, sitting on baseline. I just love, love destroying SMU. It's 
not going to get old. It's not getting old, beating them down. I wish I had remembered how consistently and thoroughly we beat them uh, before that game. Cause I did make a, a miscalculation with the old, uh, with the old uh, dead presidents, but, but alas, maybe, maybe it's my, <laughs> maybe I'm the one who got us off the schneid. Um, it just, everything seemed backwards. I was confused by the line, but then I remembered, Oh, Oh, I remembered like midway through you know, the game when we're up 17 and I remembered, Oh, we actually own this program. This is not something that's new or surprising. It is what it is, Hummer. Let's uh, let's leave it there, buddy. We will hop back on with Joe Barnett later this week or next week, undecided in terms of whether we do one midweek again. But uh, anything, any final notes, Hummer? Anything else you want to shout out? No. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> I've actually learned. I knew better than that. I've learned better than to to ask that open-ended question to people. Repass re the mic to me. Anything you want to say to, to wrap it up? And I usually, usually when I ask that question, I get silence followed by, nope, I'm good. And to that buddy, I say cheers. Well, I, I keep, I keep sitting there saying like, well, I could go on, but like no one wants to hear what's going on in the, the chargers, you know, Las no. Vegas Raiders game. We right definitely now. So no, do not want to hear what's going on. I got on. nothing. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers.